Let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, help us to be attentive to your spirit. Help us to understand you and our calling better. And Lord, inspire us and lift us up, build us up, that we might follow you more faithfully. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We all have things that we celebrate. We've got the big things that most all of us celebrate, like Christmas, maybe Halloween, Thanksgiving. There's also things that within your own families, you probably have particular celebrations that you do, traditions that have been passed down. I want to share with you a couple of celebrations you might want to add into your overall group. February 5th is World Nutella Day. It's a celebration of Nutella. You are to exchange recipes with one another and make dishes that have Nutella in them. If that doesn't appeal to you, March 10th is World Super Mario Brothers Day. It's a day where you're supposed to play Super Mario Brothers as much as you possibly can, any version of it. No? All right, April 29th, this one you should all be very appreciative of and should at least offer a little bit of a celebration. It is National Zipper Day. It is to honor zippers. Now, you may not understand how valuable that is, but in 1913, when zippers were first patented, they created the jeans that you all are wearing right now. They created purses and the ability to zip. They're really important. Celebrate zippers. All right. If you don't like that one, this one, if you don't know, you're glad you, you will be glad you're here today. Everyone should know this. May the 4th. The celebration of Star Wars. May the 4th be with you. Make sure you do that one. And I know those are all in the past, but there is one coming up. A week from Monday. There is a very special celebration called International Talk Like a Pirate Day. <laughs> so all day long, you can arr and talk like a pirate. What are celebrations? They are ways of showing things we value. They are ways of taking what's important to us and honoring it. Today we're going to see God celebrate. And it's going to tell us something about what he finds valuable, what he honors. Open up your Bible to Luke chapter 10. Sorry, Luke chapter 15. I'm on Luke chapter 10, but that will not help us. Luke chapter 15, it's on page 1489, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. Luke 15, page 1489. What does God celebrate?
page 1489, Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners, we just heard about those guys in Luke 5, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So let's start with this accusation. Here are these sinners, tax collectors, gathering around Jesus, and the Pharisees say, he welcomes these guys. And it's a very negative thing. They're accusing him of something wrong. But he is doing it. Um, The accusation is real. Like we just read it in Luke 5. He goes to a tax collector and says, hey, follow me. Then he goes to the tax collector's house and has a party with a bunch of sinners. It happens again in a similar way in Luke chapter 7. It happens again in Luke chapter 19. This is what Jesus does. He welcomes tax collectors and sinners. Now, what does that mean for them? So a tax collector was somebody who worked for the government. They took taxes from often their own people, gave it to the government, but... There is a reason that Zacharias, Zacchaeus, sorry, there's too many Z's, Um, Zach, there's a reason that Zach has so much money. They would take extra from their own people to line their own pockets. Tax collectors were hated by the average person. Now let me ask you, how do you feel about the IRS? Anyone? Does that give you nice, warm, fuzzy feelings? We don't care much for the IRS. What about, just to put it in kind of our terms today, what about really wealthy people who pay the same taxes that you do? What about big businesses that rip you off? What about people who do schemes to rip others off? All of those people could be similar in a category as tax collectors. How do you feel about those people? There's another category that Jesus has, or they claim he has. It's sinners. It's a general category. But let me tell you who it includes. Prostitutes, thieves, a whole group of people that the Pharisees would go, you are sinners. And guess what? Most of them were. And most of the things they didn't like, they actually were sin. Today, and this is something that I just, I wondered. If these are the kinds of people Jesus is welcoming, if these are the people he's having dinner with, if these are the people he's spending his time with, and you've got Pharisees over here going, that is wrong. These people have a wall between them and God, And if you are near them, you will become sinful. Here's what I wonder. How many religious leaders of today would fit the Pharisees? Let me make it personal. If a prostitute walks into our doors and wants to come sit by you, an adult dancer, a car thief, a gang member, a drug dealer, What about somebody from the LGBT community? How do you respond? 
the church, I hate to say, is really good at condemnation and judgment. We are really good at pointing out how all these people are wrong and then throwing up a wall. And I wonder how we would do as a church if those kinds of people actually came into our doors. I wonder in our own lives what it might look like. Do we look more like the Pharisees or like the accusation they're making of Jesus? And why does it matter? Look at Jesus' response. And by the way, his response is not a rationalization. He's not justifying himself. What they're accusing him of is real. He's explaining why. Here's the parable. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Let me tell you three brief things about this parable that you need to understand to understand the answer he's giving. Here's the first thing. What do you do when you lose something that is valuable to you? So, In the parable, a shepherd has lost one of his sheep. Those sheep are extremely valuable to this shepherd. So what does he do? He leaves those 99, and by the way, sometimes this is presented as if he's leaving the 99 and there's a pack of wolves sitting right there and they're all going to eat the 99, and so why would he do this? This is dumb. And yet, Jesus says, don't you do this. The idea is those sheep are probably relatively safe. Is there a risk? Sure. Could a wolf show up? Could one of them wander away? Yes, but they're relatively safe, and yet where is the priority of the shepherd? Finding this lost sheep. Because what do you do when you lose something that's valuable to you? So you all know, because I've talked about it twice, we lost our cat a month ago. Guess what we did? everything we possibly could to find the cat. We did flyers, we walked neighborhoods, we posted on Facebook, and every single person that gave us any indication they might have seen our cat, we're like, we're there! Why? Because the cat is really valuable to us. The first thing you need to understand about the parable is it says something really simple at the beginning. When you lose something or something is lost that is valuable to you, you want to go after it. Here's the second thing. What happens when you find the thing that was of value to you? Do you find it after searching forever and go, oh, great, I got it. Let me go put this back on the shelf. That's not what the shepherd does, right? The shepherd finds the sheep and, I love this, joyfully puts it on his shoulder. (laughs) Then he brings the sheep back and he calls his friends to rejoice with him. Because this valuable thing that he lost, he has found. What do you do when you find that thing that you lost? So, when we found the cat that we lost, or that ran away, I can tell you that a part of me was going, dumb cat. I mean, that cat cost us sleepless nights, 
running around, all of this extra time, and a bunch of anxiety for my entire family wondering the one question that everybody who loses an animal that they love deal with. Will I ever see my cat again? I mean, but guess what? When we got that cat back, what do you think we did? We rejoiced. We were like, we don't care if you're a dumb animal that ran away and caused us all this anxiety. You're back. We were so excited. I let the cat sleep in my bed by my head all day long, all night long. Ask my wife. That doesn't happen because the cat won't let me sleep and I throw him off the bed at night. But not that night because we were rejoicing just as the shepherd is rejoicing. Because what happens when you find what was lost? You rejoice. Why? Because it's so valuable to you. I can tell you what the shepherd is thinking. This is the same thing I was thinking. It's the same thing you all would be thinking if you lost your cat and you cared about your cat. Will my cat survive? Will my sheep survive? Because here's what I know. Sheep don't do well on their own. Here's what I know about house cats. They don't do well after 10 years of living in a house out in the wild. My cat, when we found him, had lost 10% of his body weight. He looked scraggly. He was a mess. He was starving. I don't know how long he was going to last. It was of great value, and he was lost and probably wouldn't have made it. We were rejoicing because we valued so heavily that creature. He is rejoicing because he values that sheep. What have you lost and then found and you rejoiced? That's what this parable is about. Rejoicing. Now, I'm going to take a little pivot. We're going to kind of go down another path for a moment that is going to seem a little bit unrelated to this message and yet is very related. I want to quote something out of Scripture, and I want to see if you know it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Would you raise your hand if you've heard that before? All right, pretty much almost everybody. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Have you ever thought about what it means to say the joy of the Lord Whose joy is it that is your strength? God's. It's God's joy that can be our strength. Here's my second question. Have you ever thought about God being joyful? Have you ever thought about God being happy, smiling? So here's what I can say. The higher your church tradition the more likely your God, because of your reverence, doesn't smile a lot. On the other hand, the lower your church, your God probably smiles too much because that's all he does. He's kind of your buddy. And you lose sight of him being sovereign over all of the universe. However, we must have an accurate picture of God. God's joy. Do you remember what God says at each day of creation? How does it end? It is good. Now, I want you to think of that, 
not in some like technical, Englishy kind of way. I want you to think about when you make something and then you go, oh, that is good. How are you saying that? Is there a smile on your face? Because God is a joyful God. And I envision each day going, oh, that is good. And the next day, that is good. And there's a smile on God's face. And then he gets to the end and he goes, he looks at all of it. That is very good. And you know how I know this? Do you know how often in the Psalms, nature is described as joyful? That the the trees are supposed to clap their branches in joy. There's all of this language of even nature, of creation, being joyful. Why? Because a joyful God made it and was happy that it was made. We must understand that our God is a God of joy. And that joy, if you want to follow me, you can turn to Psalm 51. It is on page 813. Psalm 51. You will all recognize this. Um, If it's only even from Ash Wednesday, you'll recognize it. But it's a very famous part of the psalm. It's been made into songs and other things. Psalm 51 and verse 10. Actually, we're going to start in verse 8. You need to hear this part too. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me what? The joy of your salvation. That verse that we quoted at the beginning, let me tie it together. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That comes out of Nehemiah chapter 8. And here's what's happening in that section. The people have all returned from exile. They've been away from the Holy Land. They've been away from the Word of God. And when they get back, Ezra pulls out the Word of God. And it begins to be read to all the people. And when they're hearing the Word of God, And they've been away from it for a long time. They've been living in exile. What they realize as they're hearing the word of God is they aren't following it. They've been living outside of God's word. And so as they hear that, they begin to weep as they recognize their sinfulness. And then Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites go, stop. Stop weeping. The joy of the Lord, it's not, is my strength is your strength. This is a day set apart for God. Rejoice. Rejoice that we have found his word. Rejoice that you are back in the land. Rejoice that he has saved you. Feel his joy in your life. We must understand that our God is a joyful God and that we as his followers are called to feel his joy 
that we might have it. Where does part of his joy come from? Go back into Luke chapter 15. Anybody warm? Or is everybody okay? Dang. All right. Try standing under these lights and an alb and a few other things underneath. And <laughs> Luke chapter 15. On page 1489. Verse 7. Here's Jesus' answer. Why do I hang out with the sinners, the tax collectors, the Gentiles, those who are far from God? I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Would you like to be the cause of God throwing a party? Would you like to be the cause of God's joyfulness in heaven? The way it happens is when we're welcoming sinners, talking to them about faith and love and grace and our amazing God, and they repent and they come to faith. Is God happy that we are all here this morning worshiping him? I think he is. Although I don't necessarily have a real clear delineation or specific passage that says God rejoices when people come to church. Does God rejoice when we get together and we have a Bible study or a small group or something? Probably. But again, I don't don't see that. And here's my fear. That has become what it means to be a follower of Christ. We go to church, we have Bible studies, we have small groups. And what we know is that God's heart and the heart of Christ is for the one that's lost, the one that doesn't know him. That's what makes him rejoice. I would assume that you all are aware that Queen Elizabeth has died. It's hard not to know at this point. Um, And as Anglicans, you really should know, because do you know what Anglican means? Church of England. (laughs) We should know this. I read an article this morning that I thought was really interesting. It was an interview with the head of the London Times Bureau, And he was talking about the fact that right now, if you were in London, the Queen's face is everywhere. Every bus service station, it's on billboards, it's just, it's everywhere. And he said there's this general current going through the city of sorrow. Now, he clarified, since they're British, it's really understated. Um, And if you're not British, you might not even notice it, but, but it's there. And he said, but here's the thing that really stood out to me. The night that she passed away, a couple of hours after she had died, he was in the Camden neighborhood. He had gotten out of a taxi, and he was looking around, and the streets, the area he was at, there's all of these clubs and bars, and and there's all of these young people. They were coming, and they were going. They're laughing, and they're joking, and 
He said, they're vaping. I'm not sure why he threw that one in there, but they were vaping. And he said, as if nothing had happened. But then he said, I only kind of blame them. She came to power 70 years ago. She's gone through 15 prime ministers, 14 U.S. presidents. She started ruling at 25. She wasn't even supposed to go to the throne because her uncle was king. And if he had had any heirs, they would have been it. Then her dad took the throne after her uncle abdicated the throne to go marry a divorced American. And if he had had any male heirs, they would have jumped in front of her. But he died without that, so then she became queen, and she became the longest ruling monarch Britain has ever had. But 70 years. And he said, they just have forgotten. They don't know her. They didn't grow up through all of this period and see all of the things. And so I only kind of blame them. And I read that, and I thought, I feel like the church has forgotten. I feel like the church has lost what was so important to Jesus. (laughs) December 8th is pretend to time travel day. (laughs) They suggest that you like dress up in medieval garb and walk around the street going, what year is it? Um, (laughs) Just to mess with people. But I thought if we could travel back, if we could see him, we could watch his ministry. If you could stand there while all these people that were rejected and hated and, and that the Pharisees were like, stay away from, you could watch them all gather around and you could see the smile on the face of Jesus. How would it change how we did church or what it meant to be the church? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, We see in the scriptures your joy. And we see the joy you have when someone who doesn't know you and is lost comes to you. I know that in my own life, I have had numerous times where I have been afraid. I've had anxiety when it came to talking with someone who didn't know you. And I would imagine everybody in this room has had the same. Lord, give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us excitement, knowing that you find such joy in people coming to faith and that we can share in that joy knowing that someone who is lost has been found. Lord, be with us. In the name of Jesus, amen.